You're listening to The Dead Prussian, a podcast about war and warfare. When I was younger, I saw a pretty cool movie called T2, Judgment Day. And that was pretty much all I knew for a long time about robots and war. One of the vehicles I saw in that movie was a robot plane. You could probably describe it as like a drone. It was a quadcopter, not too different from what you see photographers getting around nearly every park with these days. Drones have become a reality since that movie was released. Unmanned aerial vehicles, surveillance, predators, reapers, Hermes 450s and scan eagles. Some are designed to watch, others are designed to watch and target. But it's interesting how these types of technology advances can affect the way we go to war, the way soldiers fight. G'day listeners, it's your host with the most Mick here and I am quite happy with all the support we've been getting, except you haven't given me any iTunes reviews lately, so that's a bit rude. But the support in the other area has been pretty good. So if you are one of those people who hasn't thrown any stars our way on iTunes, please jump on and do it. As I intimated before, we're going to talk about UAVs or drones. And I need a guest to do that. So today, my guest is Ulrike Franke. Now that's my Australian attempt at a German pronunciation, so we'll just leave it at that. Now, Ulrike is a Doctor of Philosophy student in International Relations. She's supervised by Professor Sir Hugh Strawn and Professor Lucas Kellow. In her work, she focuses on the military implications of the increasing use of unmanned aerial vehicles, which is UAVs or drones, by Western armed forces. She's interested in the impact of military technology on warfare and the so-called revolution in military affairs. Ulrika was part of a UN special rapporteur on human rights and counterterrorism Ben Emerson's research team, working on drone use in counterterrorism contexts. She is a researcher at the European Council on Foreign Relations in London, and she holds a Bachelor of Arts from Sciences Po Paris and a double Master of Arts degree from Sciences Po Paris and the University of St. Gallen. Or St. Gallen. I don't really know how to pronounce that, but that's okay because I never get the pronunciation of these things right. However, it's a pretty impressive bio, but... Most importantly, Ulrika and I are going to talk about the impact of drones on strategic culture and the doctrine of some Western armies. Ulrika, thanks for coming on the show. Well, thanks a lot for having me. Um, it's a pleasure to be on the show. and I've been a regular listener for quite a while, so I'm very honoured to talk to you. And I'm also sure that all of my dead Prussian ancestors uh, would be very happy uh, that I'm on your show. So thanks a lot. Well, not to sound too crass, but I'm pretty happy you've got a lot of uh, dead Prussian ancestors. Not so much that they're dead, but that they're <laughs> Prussian. Uh, now, Ulrika, you spend a lot of time reading and writing about drones and their impact on military doctrine. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what got you into this field? Yeah, sure. So basically, I came to drones through the Revolution in Military Affairs or through the RMA. Um, I wrote my master's thesis already, so that was years ago, 
on the so-called revolution in military affairs. And that is what most people know as the revolution in military affairs, namely toward the end of the Cold War, uh, lots of new technologies were being developed, so precision-guided munitions, GPS, the so-called network-centric warfare, and, and all of that, and that was considered revolutionary. And I looked into this, and I thought that was quite interesting, but the more I looked at it, the more I got interested in one specific technology that only played a tiny role in that army of the end of the Cold War, but was kind of rising at the moment that I was working, and that's drones or unmanned aerial vehicles. Um, and at the time I was writing, there were more and more claims about drones being revolutionary. Um, so the media and, and some researchers basically argued, yeah, this is the, the new cool thing, they're going to revolutionize warfare, it's all going to be very different. different. And to me, I mean, it, it, at first that kind of sounded convincing and reasonable, um, because I mean, these are kind of cool technologies and you think, yeah, that certainly must, must change the way we fight wars. But in a way, the more I looked into it, the more I realized that all these claims about drones being revolutionary really had very little foundation. So I'm not saying that they were wrong. It's just that a lot of people just kind of said drones were revolutionary without actually being able to make the argument because they hadn't really looked at, into how drones were actually used on the battlefield. Um, and I think a lot of people were, in fact, um, influenced by science fiction, uh, as you mentioned in your introduction, because a lot of people thought, oh, my God, I've seen this in so many movies. Now yeah. everything's going to change and we're going to have sci-fi warfare. Yes, but on, again, yeah. so I felt that there wasn't enough. Yeah, exactly. Skynet. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I felt that there wasn't enough uh, research being done, mainly also because the focus was and really is still so much on the United States use of drones. Um, and specifically the United States use of armed drones outside of the official battle spaces. So that's kind of the one thing everyone looks at. And of course, you know, yeah. there's a good reason to look at it, into this. But I do feel that the, the changes um, drones have caused in military operations or unmilitary operations, doctrine, strategy, military organization, all of that really has been understudied in any other context. So yeah. that's why I felt that you know someone needed to look into this and that's exactly what I'm what I'm doing in my in my research. Well I'm really glad you decided to get into this topic because one, it meant I was able to book you as a guest and two, we're able to talk about this very interesting topic. And you know, sometimes it's hard to find interesting guests on interesting topics. There's a lot of boring people that stick up their hands to talk to me. I don't know why. <laughs> now your research, uh, as you said, is a little bit different than what other people are focusing on when it comes to drone warfare. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your study on the use of uh, unmanned aerial vehicles on military operations? Sure, absolutely. And I hope to live up to your um, uh, definition of me as interesting. So. <laughs> <laughs> and, right, so in my research, um, I decided or I looked at three different countries' use of military drones. So I look at how Germany, the United Kingdom, and the United States are using military drones in operations. And I basically chose these three countries because that gives me the full range of systems out there. So there, if you have these three countries, they basically use everything from very small, unarmed surveillance drones to larger surveillance systems, such as the Global Hawk, which is the biggest drone out there 
um, at all, and it's an it's an I star, so it's a surveillance and intelligence systems, yep. and to armed drones. Um, mm -hmm. So drones that carry bombs and missiles. And I study how these systems are used and what differences there are between different countries, between different armed forces. Um, and by looking at these three countries, I also get different contexts. So I look at how drones have been used in official battle zones. Um, so that's the case for Germany and the UK that use drones in Afghanistan. Yep. But as I mentioned at the beginning, I also look at how the United States is using drones outside of official battle spaces. So in Pakistan um, and partly also in Yemen and Somalia, because that really gets a lot of um, interest and, and coverage. Um, maybe just as a side note, I, I certainly would have loved to study a few other countries as well. And most importantly, uh, Israel is a super important case when it comes to drones. Yeah. So Israel is a leading nation, really, um, in drone development and also okay. a leading drone exporter. Um, and just, again, as a side note, I mean, you could argue that it really was the Israelis that put drones on the map um, because they used them in the 1982 Lebanon war. Um, and while there had been drones before, it was always a kind of one step forward, two step back development. So drones were used in Vietnam, but then they were kind of forgotten and they were developed and then they didn't really live up to the expectations, they were forgotten again. And in 1982, the Israelis used drones in the Lebanon war with quite some success. And that was picked up by the Americans and that really kind of kickstarted the drone development. So again, it would be really fun to look at, at Israel and partly also China and Russia. But the thing is that there is very little information available on these countries. And I also don't speak Hebrew, which kind of hinders the, the research. So if any of the listeners out there uh, want to go and uh, discuss uh, drones um, and, and study uh, drone use in Israel, that would be certainly uh, interesting. Surely we've got but anyway, some uh, so, um, Hebrew speakers. I imagine we've got a few. <laughs> well, you never know. Yeah. Um, right. But um, my study of drones really is based on this idea that it's not the technology that matters most, but it's how you use it. And the classic example of that, of course, is, is the tank. So the tank has been on the battlefield since 1916, but it was the Blitzkrieg doctrine developed by the Wehrmacht that really made tank warfare decisive and revolutionary. And I'm trying to find out whether countries have developed these kind of revolutionary drone doctrines on how to, how to best use drones and whether that makes them revolutionary. Okay. So maybe to just talk about a few of the findings um, that could be interesting for, yeah. for our listeners. So in Afghanistan, what I thought was very interesting is that drones really changed the battle space awareness of commanders and soldiers and really down to the lowest level. Um, and that was one of the biggest impact in my, in my experience. Um, drones provided increased cover. So as an example, German forces, after they got the Heron drone, which is an Israeli drone system that the, the Germans bought, um, German forces were actually no longer allowed or at least supposed to leave camp without a drone overhead. So really? drones really provided this armed overwatch, yeah, that we didn't have before. Um, I mean, drones didn't really lift the fog of war, but they certainly helped a lot. And what I thought interesting was the drones help with things that sound kind of marginal, but are actually really decisive in warfare. So the classic example for me is, is traffic control. So drones um, were used to tell the troops on the ground where the next traffic jam was or kind of whether to turn left or right. And I spoke with a 
German commander, um, and he said, well, we went to Kabul and we didn't have any street maps or the street maps we had were super old and we didn't know whether the streets were still there, um, whether new houses had been built, etc., etc. So we basically used drones overhead to tell us, turn right, turn left, um, there's a traffic jam uh, ahead, don't go there. And that may seem, you know, somewhat unimportant, but it actually is super important in a in a uh, military operation where you fight against insurgents, where you have IEDs, all of these things. So you don't want to be a sitting duck because you know your your um, convoy is stuck in a traffic jam. So that was actually quite quite important. Yeah, it's a, it's it's something people probably don't think of when they think of war zones and drone use. Yeah, no, exactly. But this was really decisive. So. These are some of the kind of imbello findings, so the, the things that are that drones are influencing during war. Yeah. But of course, one of the kind of big debates around drones is, is at bellum, so before war. And the question is whether drones are making war more likely, whether more wars are being waged because drones are there. Um, and I found this to be a very difficult discussion, um, mainly because this certainly isn't the first time that this has been claimed. So. A few people may remember when Bill Clinton used increasingly used missiles. Yep. There was a whole debate on whether missiles are making wars more likely and whether we're seeing more wars just because we have missiles. Yeah, okay. Um, and my general view from my research is that I don't think that drones cause war. Um, and I, I spoke to a parliamentarian, um, a German parliamentarian, and he said something that I thought was quite interesting he basically said i mean how little confidence do people must people have in the parliamentarian process that they think that just because we have a new technology we're now going to run around and and wage more wars uh, and he thought that that was absurd um nevertheless i mean drones can be somewhat seductive um and so my view is basically that the problem with drones is that they sound like an easy no strings attached solution. They kind of sound short term. If you need to do something, you would rather send drones that, than send in people because you feel the moment you have boots on the ground, they're going to be there forever. And yeah. drones, you kind of go in, go out, and that's it. The problem is that's just not true. I mean, this is really what, what the US experience in particular has shown us uh, yeah. over the last, uh, well, 15 years now. I mean, the US used drones in that way for the first time in Yemen in 2002. And since then, over the last 15 years, the, these operations have widened to, well, at least two other countries, Pakistan and Somalia, and probably a few more. Yeah. And the thousands of people have been killed. So it really isn't this, this easy in, easy out solution um, that, that a lot of people think it is. And I think this is something important to keep in mind when, when people say, well, let's just send in drone or let's just send in um, airplanes and do airstrikes. It's... Um... It's very interesting, the discussion around the impact of a new weapon technology on uh, the, let's, let's use a word, I don't know if it exists, uh, bellicosity of a, uh, of a nation, um, how much they want to go to war. I'm currently uh, wading my way through an uh, essay on uh, the First World War at the moment, and the arms race uh, you know, is quite a significant fact of uh, one of the causes of that war. Well, I hope it is. We'll see when I get my essay back. Um, but it's interesting how technology can uh, affect a strategic and military culture. I'm interested to know what effect uh, the technology's had on the strategy and doctrine of the military's reliance use. You've talked a little bit about the German experience. Um, what else can you tell us about how this has affected 
uh, I suppose, the strategic and military cultures of those people who use this technology. Mm. Um, the first thing with drones is that for drones, doctrine and strategy has really or have followed the technology. Okay. So sometimes it's the other way around, right? Sometimes a strategy um, saying we would need a system to do X and then you kind of try to develop the system. Yeah. With drones, it absolutely has been the other way around, mainly because um, countries have procured drones as urgent operational requirements. Yeah. Um, they basically like ended up with these systems on the battlefield and needed to find out how to best use them. And there has been an enormous learning curve um, and that, that really was, was very interesting. So I talked to a British intelligence officer um, who had the most interesting job, namely he toured Afghanistan and he went to all these different outposts, command posts, and explained the people there who already had drone systems and who were, who were already using them, how to best use them and what kind of intelligence products they could get out of these systems. Okay. So, of course, you know, the people, these, these are army drones, the people there already knew how to fly them, they were trained in that, but they didn't really understand all the things you could do with drones. And this this officer basically went around and, and um, told them that, and I thought that, that was very interesting. Um, so I my, my finding at this point is that doctrine really hasn't changed enormously. So I mentioned things like, you know, troops not going out without drones. So that would be one and also smaller scouting teams or generally less need for scouting teams. So that has changed um, operations and doctrine somewhat. But I really think that we are still in this learning curve. And that's why I would say that drones, if drones um, are revolutionary, I think we haven't we haven't really seen that yet because this this decisive doctrine, the kind of blitzkrieg doctrine for drones, hasn't yeah. really been developed yet. Okay. Um, so we're still looking for the best way to use drones. Um, my money is certainly on swarms. I, th I think swarming will play a very important role. Um, autonomy will too. Um, manned unmanned teaming is another one. But, you know, there's a lot of, of doctrinal and strategic writing and thinking out there, um, depending on the country. In a few countries, it's more writing and less thinking or the other way around. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're still we're really still trying to figure that out. It's very cool that you use the term swarms because all my sci-fi geeks, I've got a few of them who listen to the show, uh, they'll be super excited about swarms of drones. Um, and uh, also, well, there's so much that yeah, there's there's so much uh, interesting. There are so many interesting links between science fiction and drones. I mean, I kind of dismissed it at the beginning because I felt that sci-fi has also had negative um, implications on how drones are being seen. Yeah. But honestly, I mean, I'm a big sci-fi fan and I even wrote an, an, a short article kind of going through my favorite science fiction books Excellent. and looking at how drones are portrayed in them and yeah. what this tells us about the future of drones. I think that can certainly help and inform our, our thinking. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the swarms are cool. Uh, manned and unmanned teaming. We actually have a, a guest coming up in the next a few months who's going to talk to us about man non man teaming so we won't go into that at the moment because I want the uh, listeners to uh, research it themselves and see if they can guess who my guest is they won't guess I'm very sneaky <laughs> um, so this all sounds very cool for the individual soldier on the ground how, how does having access to this technology and you know I still think of it as futuristic um, how does this have an effect on how they do their day job I suppose 
Yeah, I think that's exactly the right question. Honestly, I mean, my in my this is one of the areas where I would argue that drones may have been somewhat revolutionary. Um, the impact of of drones on individual soldiers' experience of warfare. And there are two types of impact. So I'll start with the kind of better known story. Um, and this is something that has been picked up by the media somewhat. This is the kind of drone pilot who sits in, in Nevada, like next to Las Vegas, and yep. operates drones from there. Yep. And that is that is a new type of, of situation, really. Um, I mean, of course, not every soldier in warfare is in the battle zone already today. I mean, lots of people are, I don't know, on, on submarines or, um, or, you know, somewhere yeah. else. But this situation where you have someone who's directly uh, in the battle, in, is, is kind of directly engaged in the battle zone, um, but not there and nowhere near, really thousands and thousands of kilometers away, this is something that is very, very new and quite different. And actually, just, just last week, I interviewed a British Reaper pilot. And yeah. he was stationed in Creech, so um, so in Creech Air Force Base, which is in in Nevada and Las Vegas. So before yeah. before British Reapers were flown from the UK, they were flown from the US, and there still are partly. And okay. so he was based there. He was one of the the first Reaper pilots based there. And he told me um, in our conversation, he mentioned this over and over again, how weird and also how difficult it is to be working a kind of eight hour shift, basically being in Afghanistan, being in a war zone, coming back, clocking out, going home and play with your kids and, and repair the washing machine. <clears throat> and he said that sometimes this was extremely difficult and he and many of his colleagues really struggled with this. And um, there are researchers out there that basically say, this is so bad that we should actually deploy these troops. So not necessarily like to Afghanistan or in the war zone, but deploy them somewhere that they are sent away, do their job and then come home. Because this this weird situation where you're in a war but not really is really quite difficult. Um, and there's another aspect to to for these pilots, which is the problem is not only being in a war while sleeping at home, but also being able to see war up close and much closer than, than most soldiers really do. Um, and that was particularly a big difference for drone pilots, as in most drone pilots were, so Air Force pilots, were formerly piloting, well, manned aircraft. So they were, they were pilots and, and flew over battle spaces. Um, and while they were involved in the fighting in some way, they weren't really seeing um, what was happening on the ground. They had okay. coordinates and drop bombs, things like that. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. now they were really seeing what was happening because they had their, their eyes, uh, the cameras on the battlefield, battle space the whole time and could also see what their, what their bombs or their missiles, if they fired some, did on the ground. So that, that is really a new experience of warfare that we haven't seen. So that's the kind of element um, that is being discussed somewhat, or actually quite a lot in the media. But there is there are other soldiers that also see war quite differently because of drones. And these are the army soldiers that are still on the battlefield, but that have now drones with them. And what this does is that they have a much better battle space awareness that they had ever before, and th this is at much lower levels, so kind of lower hi hierarchical levels. Um, infantry soldiers um, that you know used to be the foot soldiers that didn't really know what was going on in a way now have access to operational level intelligence. 
all my infantry mates are still the same, but um, I understand what you mean. <laughs> yeah, I mean, now you have infantry, <clears throat> sorry, now you have infantry soldiers that have access to intelligence through a rover terminal, so they can see what the drone overhead sees, or they have their own kind of personal drone almost, and can watch over the next hill, can see over the next compound wall. And that really is, is, is quite, a, quite a new change. And it also is another step in, that, in the direction that soldiers need to be trained much better in, in kind of technology or in, in operating a drone. Yeah. So that was that was another impact on individual soldiers' experience on warfare that I believe has been changed by by drones entering the battle space. It's it's all fascinating um, how the the ramifications of you know this this technology goes right from what can be a U.S. presidential executive order right down to um, someone who joined the service on a relatively non-technological aptitude score then having access to the state-of-the-art technology to you know drive down the road and make sure they don't get in a traffic jam so this kind of technology is pretty cool but i also know that you feel that the debate on armed uavs has let similar smaller surveillance drones be overlooked can you tell our listeners a little bit about this area yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is really one of the points that I, I wanted to bring across um, in this show because, and I've, I've touched upon this several times in my answers. Yeah. So I feel that because everyone is so fascinated by armed drones, because they got cool and names. because there's such a, exactly, yeah, they have very, I mean, cool or kind of horrible names. Yeah. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, Predator, Reaper, all of that. While the while the smaller systems um, are have 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 names such as uh, Desert Hawk or uh, Black Hornet, that doesn't sound as cool. No, I agree. Right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, for for maybe that reason or for other reasons, um, most people when they think drones, they think armed drones. I mean, Predator really has become a synonym of of drones. Yeah. Um, and this is, I mean, this is an important bit of of drone warfare, I agree. But the problem is that the use of armed drones and specifically the use of armed for drone for sorry, the use of armed drones for targeted killings is a tiny aspect of overall drone use. So there are around 90 countries around the world that operate some kind of military drone, but only about a dozen have armed drones, and most of them actually kind of got them last year or the year before that. So most yeah. countries really don't have armed drones and don't operate them. Okay. Um, and we still kind of ignore, don't look at how these smaller systems are, are being used because they're not so fancy, um, because they're not so much in the, in the media. So the point I want to bring across is that in most military operations, it's the smaller surveillance system and the, the I-STAR capability. So this capability of, of knowing what's going on around you um, at, at much lower hierarchical levels that has really made the biggest difference. And I think that you know if someone wants to claim that drones are revolutionary, I would say that that's actually, that has actually uh, given the biggest change or that, that has caused the biggest change. This is battle space awareness. Um, it's not really lifting the fog of war completely, but it certainly has has changed the situation on the battlefield quite a lot. So 
yeah, to all listeners out there, if you think drones, don't just think of, of armed drones that fly around killing people. Um, there's a lot more out there, and that may actually turn out to be more decisive. Yeah, give you a friendly scan eagle or skylark a bit of a bit of a thought every now and then. They may not uh, pack a punch, but they still do the job. Now, you're my first Prussian uh, descendant on the on the show that I know of. Um, so. Ooh. I, I get to ask you the final question, which all guests get asked, but it's a question that was started by the uh, dead Prussian himself, uh, Big Carl. And it relates to our mission on the show, which is to define war in as many ways as possible so that we can continue to explore it and understand the topics that are very, very important and have an impact on many people's lives. I ask each guest to finish a sentence on the show, and that sentence is, war is. I ask you to finish the sentence, war is. Yeah, thanks a lot. So, um, I mean, I knew that this was coming, obviously, and I thought a lot about this, and um, I thought I shaped my answer in relation to what we talked about today. So, I would say that war is and remains defined by the fog of war. Um, and nothing can completely lift it, certainly no technology, because war is a fundamentally social affair and it remains so even if your troops may be further and further away from the battlefield. That would be my, my effort um, to make um, Big Carl proud. <laughs> I, I'm, sure he's, I'm sure he's proud that people are trying to burst through the fog of war, but... Uh... Very, probably even more proud that uh, one of probably one of his Prussian descendants uh, is acknowledging that the fog of war is something you can't remove if you uh, have humans in the mix. That's a great uh, definition of war, and it's a new one, which is good. I always get a little bit bored when our guests just roll out something someone else has rolled out. So you don't get a retest; you get a you get a high distinction on that. Now. Ulrika, thanks very much for coming on the show. It's been a fascinating discussion, not just because I'm a sci-fi geek or that I think it's really cool that I can go to my local electronic store and buy a drone, although my wife won't let me. Um, But it's interesting to talk about this and how technology is impacting the lives of soldiers. So thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you. Now, listeners, you can follow Ulrika on uh, Twitter at... uh, Rika Franke, which is R-I-K-E-F-R-A-N-K-E. That's for all the uh, anglophones out there who don't generally uh, take time to pay attention to pronunciation or any other language. Uh, We've got to get better at it, guys. Now, thank you very much for uh, looking at our merchandise, ladies and gents. It's great to see you browsing it. It would be better to see you buy it. Uh, You'll notice that we've now released uh, Dead Prussian underwear that is available for purchase because of... Reese Crawley, uh, he's he, re- he requested it. Um, he didn't purchase any, so Reese, if you're listening to this, buy my underwear. Uh, also, uh, this week should be the launch of the new show that I'm co-hosting with my mate Rich. It's called War for Idiots, and uh, if you don't like my jokes, uh, tune into that show because uh, Rich is much funnier than I am, and we go through and we chat about some of these topics as only a couple of idiots can. But until next time, listeners, grab a book and crack on. Join the conversation with us on Twitter at Dead Prussian Pod, on Facebook at The Dead Prussian Page, 
or on our website www.thedeadprussian.com. All show notes for this episode, as well as copyright information, can be found on the website. The Dead Prussian podcast is written, produced and hosted by Mick Cook. It is co-produced by Amanda Levito. The music used throughout is Caught in the Beat by Broke for Free and is used under a Creative Commons attribution licence. All opinions expressed by individuals on the podcast are those of the individual and not necessarily representative of any other organisation.